investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Thank you for joining me for episode 21 and our final episode of 2021 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So I thought today um, we would do something just a little bit different. Um, The intention this year with the podcast and with the blogs has been to provide people with different ways to educate themselves. Some people prefer to read, obviously, for the blog and others, the podcast. So next year, I'm hoping to introduce to the podcast and the blog a few more guests to the show um, and do that on a fairly regular basis just to get some differing opinions, uh, expertise and knowledge around uh, different areas within the property sector. Um, so I thought today for our final episode, I would get my first ever guest uh, onto the podcast, and I couldn't think of anyone better than uh, the founder of Wakeland Property Advisory than Richard Wakeland himself. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Jared. Um, I'm just going to say to you that I would normally be uh, fly fishing in New Zealand at this point in time. Not easy so, to do uh, at the moment. No, it's certainly not. <laughs> no. Um, but as you know, we've over the years, um, the history of uh, Wakeland Property Advisory is, um, you know, buying hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of properties over the, over the passage of time. Um, what, I've, what I've looked at today, which I thought would be helpful, is to look at my own personal history when it comes to buying and owning property. And if I go back into the 80s, um, where I bought my first property in 1983, the 1980s were um, a very challenging uh, decade of um, many, many um, ups and downs and interventions that affected the property market. But this um, very basic Victorian cottage in 1983 cost me $67,500, can you believe? There we go. So just quickly before we jump into it, today what Richard and I are going to do is to look at some of the best buys from a house perspective and the best buys from an apartment perspective that we've each had. Now, Richard's career obviously in property is far longer than mine, um, but we just thought to give a bit of context around interesting buys and some of the, the factors around why they've been either good value or memorable for each of us would um, would be an interesting listen and read for um, for our uh, clients. So, Richard, if you want to expand a little bit further on, yeah. uh, from, we might start with a house. Yeah, and, sure. and you mentioned, obviously, this home that you purchased for yourself uh, yes. in the 80s. Yes. And this, I mean, this was my first property and it was a very nerve-wracking experience. So I saved and saved and saved. And, in fact, I'd saved for too long. I should have started actually owning property a lot earlier than before 1983. But I'm so glad I did this because this was the springboard into buying further properties. Um, 1983, um, I had a mortgage of 40000 which seemed a horrendous sum of money to me at the time. Um, I had parents who weren't, um, what I would say, supportive of the idea of buying a property. Um, so this is a very, um, very, very brave move. So no no access to the bank of mum and dad? No, unfortunately not. Um, they were very, very, um, I, I, I think um, probably the best way to describe it is extremely cautious. Um, it's interesting, this period of time, because 
up until about 1983, which coincides with the purchase of the property that I, I bought, property values moved pretty much in a uniform uh, manner. So by way of example, a house in Albert Park uh, cost the same as a house in Dandenong, okay. um, which, which is, you know, quite surprising, but that, that was the case. But 1983 was actually a significant year when the market was opened up to first home buyers, um, investors investing for the first time, and a property was particularly affordable in the unit sector um, because blocks of flats got subdivided and individual units got, um, got sold off to, as I said, typically private investors and home buyers. Okay, okay. So the market at that point in time, sort of the mid-80s, was moving fairly well. What was memorable about the purchasing process of that particular property? Was it competitive? Um, it was actually competitive. And um, in those days, I, you know, I, I decided to extend myself by about $5,000, which, um, which made the difference between getting the property and missing out. So um, I'm glad that I did extend. That seems like a, a, a minuscule amount at the moment, but when yep. you put that into context, we're talking almost 10%, not quite, but sort of 7 or 8% is what you've extended yeah, yourself. Exactly. So if you had to do that, that's typically what we talk about people needing to do in the current market as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you have to look at um, historical statistics um, and then take a look at the market at the time you're buying a property and work out, you know, how much extra you need to be able to put into a property to make sure you actually buy it. Um, interestingly, Jared, the 1980s um, were full of some pretty onerous uh, law, tax law changes in the form of um, the introduction of the capital gains tax, mm -hmm. uh, changes to negative gearing. We had um, extraordinarily high interest rates, the cash rate, between 1984 and 1991, never dropped below 10%. And by about 1989, interest rates were just short of 20%. So borrowing money was actually a very expensive process yeah. at, that, at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you had to put it into context, what um, what would that property be worth these days? It, it would be worth, in the condition that I bought it in, it would be worth somewhere around about $1.5, $1.6 okay. million. Dollars. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. So, again, yeah. asset selection, but it's performed very, very yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, what was the um, the method of sale for that one? This was an auction. It was an auction. And um, I'm a great believer in actually getting someone else to bid for you um, because it separates the emotion that's put into buying a property and having a third party acting on your behalf, um, I find, is much the better way to go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, look, that's sort of in line with um, last week's podcast when we talked about around the specifics of bidding at an auction. And I think I might have actually mentioned that, that um, you've always said that you've never bought a property yourself at auction yeah. or for yourself, sorry. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a um, it, it takes that emotional element out of out of the buying price. What do you remember? What the quote was? I think the quote was probably oh, you know fifty to fifty five thousand okay. at the time. Yeah, just from memory. So there yeah. was some, there was obviously some momentum in the market because again yeah. that's fairly again doesn't sound like a lot, but in context percentage wise, it's still a, 
a, a reasonable amount above the top end of the quote price. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Great. Right. Yeah. All right, your turn to fire away at me. Okay. Well, um, which um, which property for me? So like I'll start about? with the house as well. Um, I'm talking more on a um, professional sense, so with uh, clients that we've purchased for over the years. This one was a, uh, a little terrace house in the inner northern suburbs or something we purchased back around 2015 for a client. Now, the market at that point in time was certainly nothing like it is at present or has been this, this year, but there was still certainly a reasonable amount of positivity around. Um, clearance rates were holding up fairly well in the high 60s to early 70s. Um, and this one was, as I said, a terrace, two bedrooms. It was an oversized um, property in terms of frontage. It had... Um, a tick over six metres, which for a terrace house is quite a big big frontage. You typically find that they can be five metres, um, maybe a little bit over, but to be up at six was a big, big house. Um, it had been renovated probably 25 to 30 years prior, um, but the, the bulk and the cost had been spent. So the bathroom had been centralised. It had an open plan living at the back. It was very tenantable in its current condition, um, but certainly offered scope to add value down the track. So from our perspective, um, a, a box perfectly ticked for, from an investor's perspective. Um, it actually, and this is where we get to, I guess, the, um, the crux of it is that it was tenanted at the time of purchase. Um, it, um, it did feel uh, like that internally. It was a little bit um, dated. The furniture didn't fit quite well uh, in the property. So that um, it certainly gave us a bit of scope and the photographs weren't ideal either. So there was, it was certainly some good options around um, around that and it was one of the reasons we focused on, on it. So it, it went very well uh, on the day We um, from, from a, a selfish buying perspective, not so well from the vendor's point of view. Um, the agency that, that was selling that property, um, again, we're not going to speak about specifics, but they are uh, probably more of a reactive agency rather than proactive um, which always is favourable for us as a buying service. Um, and that prop, the property was quoted at the time at 900 to 990. So we, we still felt at the time that the quote was light um, and we felt that we, we would be prepared to pay up towards in excess of $1.2 million. Uh, and there was certainly plenty of sales around to justify that given the size and the condition of the property. Um, and it was a very interesting auction because it... Um, the agents called for an opening vendor bid of 900000 which is not unreasonable, bottom end of the quote, it's what you would expect. Um, and after a minute or two, they had a half-time break because there was crickets. No one stepped forward, no noise, nothing happened. Um, they came back out after a minute or two and uh, and someone put in a, a, a gave them the 910 um, and then we got involved, um, obviously not wanting to let it pass into someone else. Um but it was like extracting hen's teeth with the other buyer. They just were very timid, very cautious, um, and back and forward, but it took a long time. Eventually, we were holding the bid at 950, still not on the market, and the property was passed into us. Um, now, from our perspective, when you're buying and you see extremely good value well beyond the quote price, to have it passed in within the quote price can actually make it, as you know, quite awkward from a negotiating perspective because you're trying to look the agent in the eye and telling that um, 950 is uh, an extreme amount of money when in actual fact it's not. And then when they come back and give you a reserve that, again, is very reasonable, it makes the negotiation really hard. Um, but you're feeling very comfortable. And I've, we've, we had a client in this state, this this instance where the husband and wife um, and mature children, they were buying as an investment, 
and the husband wasn't there and he was a very um, go-getter sort of a guy, really liked to, to put deals and things together. So he was on the phone to um, one of my colleagues while I was negotiating saying, just buy it, just buy it. And I'm saying, well, take a breath, we will buy it, but we, we don't want to pay more than we have to. So with a bit of back and forward, a bit of back and forward, I think the reserve might have been around a million dollars. Um, we managed to secure it for 980, um, which is just a, a, a was an unbelievable price. And I know from speaking to other agents in and around the area over the the following months, it was a, a hot topic of discussion that that was a that was great value. Um, and that property now, I'd be pretty comfortable in saying it's worth 1.6, and on a good day, it may even get 1.7. Um, so yeah, that was that's from a housing perspective and from an investor's point of view, that's one of the very memorable and, and good value properties that I've, I've been involved with. Yeah, you know, Jared, I think um, sometimes being in the right place at the right Absolutely. time and uh, being there for the opportunity, um, being very patient in the negotiation process. Um, and the other thing is always having an option or an alternative to um, the particular property that you want to buy. Um, what interests me about this particular property is that it was obviously in an absolutely prime position. It had extra uh, land content to it. And I really like the idea of this um, business of holding a property long term, but at some point in time, adding value to it. Now, when I talk about adding value, I'm not talking about, you know, putting an extension, whether it's going out or going up. Um, but I'm talking about working within the existing shell of the building. And it sounds to me like this particular property had had most of the, um, most of the hard work done to it um, over the last 25 years, the time we bought it, um, but it did lend itself to um, an upgrade, um, an updating. And, um, you know, like so many of our clients, um, buying property, as we, you know, like to suggest, is all about buying, holding, never selling within reason and repeating the process. And, you know, it's all about the land. Um, it's not so much about the improvements. And even though we're talking about the improvements at the moment and the ability to um, enhance the value of the property, um, it is so much about the land. Absolutely. Yeah, and look, and that was why that, that extra frontage, This it wasn't an overly deep property, this one, but it certainly had more than enough. There wasn't off-street parking, but it did have a laneway. If you'd wanted to, there was space to be able to do it, as we typically know with the terrace houses, though most people don't necessarily utilise that off-street parking unless they're going away because it's quite tight from an accessibility point of view. And then you're using most of your backyard for um, for a car space rather than having the outdoor entertaining type area. Yeah. Now, you know, I think um, the way you've described this particular property, it's in what we describe as the finite sector of the property market in that there's not um, a huge supply of this type of property um, as opposed to sectors of the property market that you might describe as being infinite in supplies. So by way of example, infinite supply would be um, high-rise apartments um, as opposed to finite supply of Victorian-type cottages, Edwardian cottages, even um, Art Deco semi-detached um, brick one-of-a-pairs, um, all really valuable, good-quality real estate if um, the correct uh, street is chosen. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to um, an apartment, a memorable apartment purchase that you've had um, over the years. What um, What have you got to tell us there? Well, you know, apartments um, have so many different variables. Um, not only is it about uh, location and understanding the value of the land component um, that the block of flats or units sit on, um, it's um, it's also understanding aspect, it's understanding floor plan, it's also about understanding the form of title, it's understanding parking and so on. This particular unit um, I, I bought back in 1993 um, and uh, the purchase price at the time was 95000 Unusual um, unit in the fact that it had two sizable courtyard uh, gardens. The size of the living room is huge um, and the bedroom was a good size. Uh, this particular property today um, would be worth somewhere in the range of 650 to 700,000. Um, great street, great complex, well-maintained uh, complex, but the unusual characteristics of this property largely sit around the ability to, um, you know, have, have an outdoor setting. Mm -hmm. um, and as I said, two courtyards, which, um, which which is a rarity. Oh, it's a point of difference too. And that's always a key thing with, with any property, but particularly with apartments, you need to be able to um, have something that gives it a point of difference. And with everything that um, we've all experienced over the last two years with COVID, um, outdoor space has become even more of a premium, particularly in apartments. So to be able to have two courtyards, um, and to create that out of outdoor space would certainly be um, yeah. extremely valuable. Yeah. So you know there is there is good value in in buying a unit, um, particularly if you're talking about um, building a portfolio over the passage of time, as I have done personally. Um, it's important to include units and also some houses, and to make sure you've got um, a good geographical spread of property as you move through the passage of time acquiring property. One of, one of the really important things, things that I have learned um, going along here is that um, time is everything. And it's important to realize that time is uh, irreplaceable. And the earlier you start, the better. Um, and uh, the name of the game is to build equity through capital growth. Um, it is challenging owning uh, investment property because there is this um, understandable fear of debt. Um, but as we know, there's good debt, there's bad debt. Um, good debt um, certainly um, helps to leverage um, capital growth on the right properties. Um, and also picking a property that uh, can be easily rent out, rented out. I find that our clients often um, concern themselves with the rent Rent, rentability of a property or having that income stream but if it's a good property it will, will attract a good tenant yeah absolutely so coming back you mentioned before with the housing market when you talked about buying in the 80s and there was a number of factors that didn't make buying property or made it a little bit difficult i can imagine that was probably the case in the early 90s after the recession as well very very much so i mean um for almost half of that decade um, you know, from 1990 through to 1995, 1996, um, the sentiment in the property market was hugely, hugely negative. Mm. 
Um, you know, we lived through high interest, continuing high interest rates. And it wasn't until the middle part of 1996 um, that the market started to turn around with a reduction in interest rates. Um, there was a lot of pent up demand. And by the, uh, by the early start of 1997, um, the market took off like a rocket. Yeah. So you had to be, you know, you had to be courageous in those times, mm. just in the same way that you had to be courageous in the 1980s. Um, and it's all about knowing how to manage debt. And it's all about um, not, you know, not following a herd mentality. Um, there are a lot of um, negative um, type headlines. And uh, Jared, Jared's always amused when I pull out um, archival history when it comes to uh, particular magazines. But I've got the front cover here of Business Review Weekly, July 1995, sensational headline, House Prices Dive. Um, the Economist, that takes us to 2003, the coming fall in house prices. Um, the Economist once again with a headline, Bricks and Slaughter, back in 2011. And uh, there are plenty of other examples. And the reason why I highlight this is that if you're going to be successful in property investment, you've got to, um, you've got to ignore um, negative commentary, negative sentiment. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, so uh, units, Jared. So mine, again, comes, um, I've gone down the path of uh, when I've represented a client. Um, so this one was a, uh, a two-bedroom apartment that we purchased for, again, an investor client in the, the southeastern suburbs. Um, it was actually you know, a reasonably, for, for our, from our perspective, a reasonably large development. Um, not in terms of, I mean, the apartment numbers, I think there's 20 in this complex, um, which is, again, relatively large. But large and also in the sense that it sits on over 2,500 square metres of land. So when we talk about, and you mentioned before, that underlying land component, um, to have 2,500 square metres in uh, some of the inner southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, that's an extremely valuable parcel of land, particularly when we're now starting to see developments or developers, sorry, coming forward and starting to try and buy out whole apartment blocks because that's their easiest access to affordable land. So... To have two and a, half, a block of 2,500 square metres might have been maximised back in the, the 60s or 70s when it was built, but that's certainly not, this development is certainly not maximising the land component. So as with all apartments, as you mentioned before, position in the block is really important, and this one was in a, a very good position, first floor elevated, and because this development is in, on quite a large parcel of land, there's a very nice central garden that the apartment block is based around and this apartment had a, a great view out nice outlook out over the over the top of that apartment the kitchen and bathroom in this one had been upgraded they were quite well presented internally um, and again but the, the difficulty with this one from the again the vendor's perspective was that um, the photos that were used for the campaign uh, were previous photos that had been used for a tenancy campaign so the property was vacant. It wasn't styled at all. Um, the photographs didn't maximise the light. They were quite dark. They focused on poor angles within the apartment. Um, there was no nothing showing the aspect. So unless you really went there and physically inspected it, it, it was pretty off-putting. Um, then to top that off, the property actually, when you did get there, it was occupied. There was a tenant in place and there was a, um, uh, a lease 
in place. It wasn't month to month. It had a fixed term. I believe there was about six months to go on the tenancy. So that, for a lot of owner-occupiers, would put the property off because owner-occupiers, particularly first home buyers, and this property was quoted at five fifty to five sixty five. Um, they want to be able to move in straight away. They don't want to wait um, six months to, to um, serve notice on a tenant and then then move in at that stage. They're ready to go. So, um, yeah, and again, you mentioned before, Richard, that um, sometimes being at the right place at the right time, you've got to then got to know how to take advantage of that. And again, this one may be a case of that where we were to a degree in the right place at the right time, but it's also being able to look past those um, those presentation issues and understand that there is uh, significant benefits. So with this one, um, again, the agent was a, a one-man band type agent in this instance um, and not from the area, um, not too far away, but certainly not local to this area where this property was purchased. Um, as I said, the quote was 550 to 565. It was an auction, um, but he used a, um, an independent auctioneer. It wasn't someone from within his business. So the auctioneer on the day called for an opening bid of 520000 so fairly well below the, um, the actual quote price. We, uh, I was standing there on the day and said, well, if it's – and he, the auctioneer, to be clear, it's specifically said that he wouldn't be putting any more vendor bids in. So the 520, if he got that, that would be the um, – there wouldn't be any vendor bids put in. So I jumped at that because I felt, well, we're well below. Um, if he's not going to put a vendor bid in over the top of me, um, I want to start from that point. And there wasn't a huge crowd at this auction because of the presentation issues. Um, this was back in, I think, 2014. So the market wasn't flying at that stage, but it wasn't terrible either. Um, and it, it stood there, again, no noise. No one came, no one bid. Um, they went inside and had a chat, came back out, um, called for further bids and didn't get any engagement. And so the property was passed into us at 520000 So the um, our feeling, we had well over 600000 as our upper limit on this. Um, so we were very, very comfortable. So again, it puts you in that awkward position from a negotiation perspective as to how to deal with it. But the auctioneer, and this is where understanding your agent from a vendor's point of view is very important. The auctioneer was in... Um, in a rush to leave. He had no interest in trying to get the best result. It was just, I'm here to do my job and I want to get on. If I get a sale, I can move on with this. So um, the reserve came back at the bottom end of the quote at 550000 um, So again, trying to hide the, the smile across your face and, and, and still trying to negotiate. But in the end, we put in, um, I think, 535 and went back and forward a bit and bought it below the quote price at 542 for this one. So um, we couldn't get in there quickly enough and sign that one up because um, the last sale now in that block, identical floor plan to what ours is um, and very similar condition was in early 2020, so just before COVID hit, um, and that was in the, the mid-800s at this point in time. And I would say that it's probably now in the high eights to maybe even 900 on a good day. Mm. Um, so certainly done extremely well. Um Given, given what the market's done over that period of time. Tremendous. You know, I mean, you, you've raised the subject of negotiation tactics and um, I find uh, that negotiating prior to an auction, attending an auction and bidding at an auction or dealing with a situation where the property's passed into you, um, they're all entirely different Absolutely. Um, situations. Every property sale... Um, is different. You know, market sentiment at the time could be different. The 
vendor um, circumstances can be um, a, a, in a particular state. Um, then there's the, uh, the agent as to how experienced they are um, with negotiations. So it's really important to know how to negotiate in all the different... Um, well, I was talking to a friend the other day who's planning to interstate, who's planning to bid on a property this weekend or this weekend, next weekend, and he that was the exact question. What should I do? What's the tactics that I should use? And um, people almost expect that there's a specific strategy that you use at every yeah, auction. And a, a textbook, a text, you know, the, there is not a textbook strategy. No, you can't. I mean, people talk about, oh, you need to be early and you need to bid with authority or you need to wait and don't bid until the property's on the market. Well, not bidding until the property's on the market is difficult if you're the only person that's put your hand up. So it, it's um, there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to bidding. There's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to negotiation. Is this um, we're talking about a client who may have had um, some properties for the purchase of this property, or was it a first-time uh, investor? Um, you mean the one that I've just discussed? Yes. Yeah, no, that was a first-time investor. That was that a first, one was. I bought investment. a second property for that that yeah. client. Um, so that was an apartment. That was their first investment, and then I've bought a um, bought them a, a second investment property in a house in the northern suburbs right. since then. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Very good. Well, that's probably about it for today's episode. So thanks for joining Richard and I for episode 21 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in throughout 2021. Uh, I hope We hope you uh, enjoy a wonderful festive season, enjoy some time off. Uh, and as always, feel free to share the podcast with friends and family. We'd like to uh, expand and, and get it out farther in, um, in 2022. But um, if you would like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au, and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. Thanks again, Richard. Thank you, Joe.